Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to get into the Word here, and I, I tell you, as we look through these pillars of ministry, uh, true ministry is initiated by God, right? He, he's the one that starts the whole thing. It all begins to originate with Him. He knows the plan. He knows what He wants to do. He knows what He wants to accomplish. We get to follow Him in the midst of it. And what He initiates, He anoints. He empowers. There's a divine energy that we get to experience as we say yes to the Lord, walk with Him, and follow Him in what it is that He's raising up for us to actually do. Ministry is received, it's not achieved. And so often, now this is so antithetical to the way we think, so often we see a problem and we immediately think that we've got to address it, fix it. We're not talking about, like I said a couple weeks ago, man, if you've got a leaky faucet, by all means, you know, have at it. You're not saying stand there and pray for 30 minutes while your kitchen floods. But what we're talking about here are spiritual issues, spiritual matters that God alone knows how to fix. And the truth of the matter is, is when we see a problem, it's not that God is revealing that to us because he wants to step back in some deistic kind of fashion to see how are we going to do with this thing. What he wants is for us to run to him because he already has a solution to the problem that he wants to make known to us and that we get to experience him in the midst of. Our first response ought to be, Lord, what, what, what are you revealing here? What is it that you want to accomplish? What is it that you want to do? And we're here, Lord, to be used of you in whatever you choose. Ministry is received from the Lord. It is not achieved by us. True ministry is not the result of our efforts, but of his surrender. And that's a technical way of saying it. It's our surrender to him, but he is role modeled Surrender. The, the son came and he went to the cross, even going to the cross to die on our behalf. And so when we talk about his surrender, what we're talking about is him not doing anything out of his own initiative other than laying down his life, him constantly walking with the Father. Everything that he said was a result of a perfect relationship with the Father, being empowered by the Spirit of God, and a perfect harmonious relationship in all that he did that was for our benefit so that we could see what it really means to walk with the Father. Now, we need Christ in us in actuality, to be able to do that. It's not something we do in and of ourselves. We don't look at the Lord Jesus Christ and say, oh, look what he did, so I'm going to go do it too. I don't have the strength or the power to do that. But I can look at what the Lord did and realize how insignificant, how insufficient I am in the midst of this and recognize that Christ has come to live within me to empower me to do the very thing that he alone is able to accomplish through me. That's a whole different world, folks. That's called grace. That's called walking by grace, walking by the Spirit of God, walking by the power of Christ in us. When we begin to walk with the Lord and we begin to walk in His ministry and His attitude and His life begins to be revealed through us, God gets the glory for His ministry. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, there's a lot of people that love glory. <laughs> And we're all looking at each other and 
All of us love that. I know, we do. I love it, you love it. It's part of our nature in some way, shape, or form, our sinful nature, to want attention in a positive sense. We want to be given credit for things. We don't want to be blamed for other things. We want glory. We want accolade. We want people to praise us. And at some levels, that's not necessarily wrong, but it sure can become wrong. It can get twisted, and it can become something that it was never meant to be. When we talk about serving the Lord, we talk about the activity of ministry. God, if it's truly ministry that's from him, that's been received from him, if it's something that he's empowering, if it's something that we're walking in with regard to our yielding to him, our surrender to him, he will get the glory for that ministry, guaranteed, because God deserves, alone deserves, the glory for ministry. Let me start out this way. Isaiah's vision, I I don't know if you've read this recently, but Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, just look at that real quick. That is Old Testament, right? So (laughs) uh, we do refer to the Old Testament once in a while, but Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, I'm being facetious. Y'all need to wake up. Come on. (laughs) Heaven's sakes. The full counsel of God, right? Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. Now listen to this. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood before him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of what? His glory. Wow. When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about who God really is. We're talking about the reality of the essence of his character, of his being. He's holy. Is there anybody that would stand in front of the Lord in this particular moment and somehow say that I've brought something to the table that the Lord God, the Holy One, is deficient in and needs? What? I don't think so. I think we do what Isaiah said. Well, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Woe is me. I'm undone. Or how about Moses when he said, Lord, I want to see your glory. And he said, no man can see me and live, but I, I'll let you see my goodness. And he hid him in the cleft of the rock as he passed by. And Moses got a glimpse of his goodness. Or John on the island of Patmos when he turned and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ and he fell at his feet like a dead man because he recognized he was in the presence of a being, someone that is far superior to who he really is. We could go through story after story, the giving of the law from the mount where the people were so fearful they said to Moses, we don't don't want to do it this way any longer. You tell us what he says. Think about that. This is a holy God we serve. This is the Lord God Almighty. Who are we to think that we bring anything to the table 
that he somehow is deficient in, that he needs us to accomplish anything, to accomplish any of his purposes. Folks, the pride in that, the spiritual pride, goes back to the fall, goes back to Satan. It's devastating. The Lord alone deserves glory for anything that is good, that is right. We get to participate with God. What a privilege, what an honor. We get to walk with him and follow him and be transformed by him. We get to experience him in all of his splendor. He lives within us to do through us what we could never do on our own. The glory of the Lord. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Unless we say that we don't worship idols, remember what the Apostle John told us at the very end of 1 John, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. That involves us, right? Last time I checked, we're created beings. Which means, guess what? (laughs) We were created for his glory. We were created for him which means whether we want to admit this or not, that he has a right over us. He's the Lord. Folks, we serve a holy God. We serve the Lord God Almighty. That's who we serve. And true ministry, true service, activity of serving the Lord, if it's truly of him, will always bring honor and glory alone to him, period. It's not about us, not what we can do for God, not what even God expects us to be able to do for him. He knows we can't, but he knows that he lives within us in order to empower us when we walk by faith and yield to him in what it is that he will lead and how he will guide and what he calls us to actually do. Let me give you a few thoughts on this in terms of just true ministry and what does it mean that we glorify the Lord. First of all, what does glory mean? That's always an interesting one to me. Is it, is it to you? Uh, we've got different pictures of the idea of glory. We're going to look at the transfiguration. We see glory in the Old Testament. A lot of times glory is associated with light, right? We, we have this bright light, this overwhelming sense of brightness, And so we immediately equivocate glory with brightness or light. And that's true to a degree. But the question is, why? Why is that the case? And I would suggest because the Lord God is revealing something about himself. Light is a picture of purity. There's a picture of the reality of who God is in the sense that there's no shadow of darkness in him at all whatsoever. There's no sin in him. There's no wrong motive. There's only love. There's only right thinking. There's only right activity. There's no darkness. There's no shadow, the hint of even darkness within the Lord God 
Almighty. So when we talk about glory, we got to understand ultimately what we're really saying. The word glory, you, you know the, the hymn doxology, right? We sing the doxology. And we say the doxology because that is the word in the Greek for glory, right? Doxa, it literally means glory. It is the true expression of who God really is. So when we're talking about glory, what we're really talking about is not simply light or brightness. We're talking about the true identity of who he actually is. The correct thinking about who God is. He's not a God of hate. He's a God of love. That's glorifying to the Lord because we are saying something that is true about him. He hates sin and he loves righteousness. That is glorifying to God because that is who he truly is. He's a God of mercy and a God of compassion. That goes to the true identity of who he really is. So we're thinking correctly of him. And all of this is from the Word of God, because the Word of God is given to us so that we might understand the truth about the reality of who God really is. Therefore, we think correctly of who He really is. Therefore, we're able to ascribe to Him, give to Him glory. We're able to think about Him correctly. I love how Spiros puts it. He says, giving glory to God is ascribing to Him His full recognition. The glory of God is what he is essentially, essentially, in his essence. What is his motive? It's always love. Why does he do what he does? Because he always is thinking the best for someone. He always wants the best. That's why he went to the cross, so that he could provide salvation to all. Look, when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the true identity of who he really is. <laughs> Years ago, we were in uh, uh, North Georgia, and we had built a home, and I decided to save some money, and I did, but I decided I, that really would never happen again, because I decided to paint the inside of a newly built home. Now, I, I really didn't have a concept of this. I'd done a lot of painting. Anybody done a lot of painting? You just kind of paint, right? You get a room and you go into it and you say, this color is looking kind of pukish and so we need to do something different about it. And, and we decide to paint and that's the ripple effect that the whole house needs to be changed. Amen? Men, you understand what I'm saying? You got me? And not just the paint, but also all the other things that go along with the paint because it doesn't now fit, right? That's the way this works. So I decided to do a newly built home. What I didn't realize about that is that there's a lot of holes in that newly built home. There's caulking that needs to be done. There are nail holes that have to be puttied. It wasn't like coming into a room that was already finished and you're just putting paint on top of it. You literally had to redo, uh, you had to do stuff that in normal sense I wasn't aware of and didn't know. So I literally... And I verified this, so I'm not exaggerating. I know pastors exaggerate. I'm not exaggerating. I literally puttied over 10,000 nail holes. Oh, oh, it hurts. It hurts. My thumbs were raw. I had to go in and caulk stuff, right? I got the caulk gun, and I became quite a good caulker. <laughs> Slipped that thing right on, man. I know how to do this. I know how to do this. <laughs> Well, the funny thing was, is <laughs> I was going to go in and I was going to prime the whole house. 
me, part with a roller, right? And thank God my contractor said, Eric, you're nuts. You need to get a paint gun. You need to get something that sprays it up there. And I said, I don't want to pay for that thing. He goes, trust me, you do. <laughs> so I got this wonderful contractor kind of spray gun, and man, that was fun. I went there one night, and I got to this house. It was all dark except for a house. We were out in the countryside. Stephanie and the kids, the kids were really little at that particular point in time. I think Jonathan was about three or four when we moved into the house. Holland was uh, about six or seven. And I, I mean, it was like, <laughs> I don't know, have you ever done this before? You even know what I'm talking about? I mean, I turned that thing on, it was like, <laughs> I mean, I think I went through a gallon of paint in the first five seconds before I realized what was going on, you know what I'm saying? And then I had to go back and roll the whole thing, and I thought, wow, this thing works great. So I got to do everything. There was no, nothing on the floors. I didn't have to worry about getting paint on the floors. I had taped all the windows. I had done everything, that, so it was like a free-for-all. Man, I was all over the place with this stuff, right? There was a fog that I created in the house. It was amazing. I had the thing on my nose. I mean, I, was, I made sure I wasn't breathing. I, I didn't want to faint and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, on my third night, because it took a while, but on my third night, they, the family came to see how things were going. And I said, you can't come in. You can't come in because of the fog, you know. But I walked out to them, and I had my painting clothes on, and I stood by the door, and I'll never forget Jonathan looking at me. Now, Holland did too, but she was a little bit older, so she knew this was dad. But Jonathan was just staring at me, mouth open, not blinking. I mean, I, it's like he had seen a ghost, and the truth is, it was as if he had. I was totally white. I didn't even know it. My eyelashes were white. I mean, I'm talking, I was white all the way through. You couldn't even really recognize who I really was. Jonathan was just staring at me like, what is this? It sounds like dad, but is this really dad? My true identity was kind of hidden. It was masked. And I had to assure him, no, 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 son. It's, hey, Jonathan, how you doing? He's like, he, he had a, it took him a little while. God is spirit, John 4, 24. If he hadn't sent his son to come to this earth, folks, we would never fully recognize the true identity of who he is. We wouldn't understand the fullness of who the Lord is. When we talk about what glory means, what we're talking about fundamentally is his true identity, his essence. And folks, if he hadn't revealed that to us through his word, through the word, the living word of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the written word of God, in order to reveal to us who he really is, we would never know. We might get glimpses of his power. That's Romans chapter 1. We may get glimpses of his, of his authority. We may recognize that there is someone who created all this but we would never come to the full recognition of the true reality of who God really is in his essence, which is Christ himself. Think about that. Glory is the true identity of God. How has God shown us his glory?
Well, the first thing is his birth. John 1.14, he says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow, what a statement. We could spend the rest of our time in a couple sermons just on this. He came to this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of of the Trinity. The word became flesh. He entered into human time. He dwelt among us, and we got to see his glory. Glory which only he has the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. One of the ways that God has revealed His glory is through the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the person of the Son, when we get to see Him and recognize Him for who He truly is, we recognize the reality of the identity of God Himself, full of grace, full of truth. His transfiguration, look at Luke chapter 9. Verses 28 and following. I love this passage. Luke 9, 28 and following. He says, Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James, the three that was, were his inner, inner circle to the twelve. He went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. Now, folks, understand that when the word of God says something in a specific order, there's a reason for it. What first began to glow. His clothing or his face? His face. In other words, the clothing began to glow as a result of what was happening to his body. The Lord Jesus Christ had a unique body, special body. He came in the likeness of human flesh, which means that he had no sin at all whatsoever. He became that body But at this particular moment in time, it's like a little bit of the glory, the true essence of the reality of who Jesus really is, leaked out. And suddenly his body began to glow, and his clothes then began to glow, and so much so that Peter was absolutely in awe to the point where he said, let's stay here. (laughs) We'll we'll build uh, places for you to stay as if they needed it. And we'll just stay here forever because the appearance of Christ and the reality, the true reality of his identity was revealed to these three men in a way that was life-changing, life-transformational. He goes on and he says, Behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So Moses... And Elijah appeared in glory as well. In other words, they had been transfigured as well. They got to be seen in a way that while they walked on this earth, that's not what they looked like. Now, you could recognize them. We knew this was Moses. We knew this was Elijah. But obviously, in a glorified state, when Peter and his companions... uh, It says, now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. When they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. 
And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. The glory of God, the glory of Christ, full, full of grace, full of truth. And at that particular moment, at that transfiguration moment, these three men got to see a glimpse of the true identity of Jesus Christ. Well, his creation, his creation, Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and following, give us a picture of God's glory. He says, For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now listen to what he says here. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory, the true identity of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. What the apostle is saying is that which is true about God, that he's an all-powerful God, has been clearly seen through his creation. The true identity of who God is, that he's all-powerful, can be recognized through what he has made. But rather than worshiping, rather than giving him the glory that he deserves... Unbelievers begin to actually exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for the glory of corruptible things, created things, and begin to worship those things instead. What about his life? My goodness, we could walk through the life of Christ and all the things that he did and all the things, the miracles, the power that he exhibited, not only over uh, sin and not only over this fallen world, over the elements of this world, but over the sinful nature of humanity in terms of forgiving sin and, and the disease and all the different things that, that take place, but certainly over, over the demonic realm as well. We could walk through all the different elements. I like what John records in John chapter 2, verse 11. He says, this beginning of his signs, he's talking about the turning of the, the water into wine. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, brought to light the true identity of who he really is. And his disciples did what? Believed in him. What a beautiful picture. Manifested his glory. How? By changing some water into wine. Power over the elements. His power as the creator. We could walk through all these different things, but we could certainly go to his death and resurrection. How has God glorified himself? How has God revealed his glory, the true identity of who he is? Well, you can see it in the way that he died, and you can certainly see it in his resurrection from death. Mark chapter 15, verse 39, says, when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. You realize what the centurion was doing right at that moment? He was giving glory to God because he was thinking correctly of the son of God. And he was saying, that truly is different than anything I've ever witnessed before. This man must be what he has declared himself to be, the son of God. Wow. Even a heathen, even an unbeliever, certainly recognized that. My prayer is that he became a believer. There's all kinds of stories about that. I think one day, Lord willing, we'll see him in heaven. 
What a beautiful truth that would be. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and 27, he says to them, O foolish men, remember the road to Emmaus after his death, right? The guys were just absolutely beside themselves. They thought all was lost. And the Lord comes alongside of these two on the road to Emmaus. And the Lord says to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his what? Glory. He suffered these things. He went to the cross. He died. He shed his blood. The perfect spotless lamb of God providing salvation, the offer of salvation for all of humanity, bearing the sin of all of humanity upon himself in order. That when we believe in him, we may be forgiven, that we may be cleansed, that we might have life and life everlasting because of what he accomplished for us. Is it not the case that he had to suffer these things to enter into his glory? The true identity of who he absolutely has always been. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. What a beautiful picture of glory. He's simply asking them, didn't didn't the Son of Man, didn't the Christ, didn't the Messiah have to go through these things in order that he would enter into the fullness of his true identity, his glory? And then what does he do? He takes them to scripture and he explains all of these things to them so that they might come to the recognition of the truth of the reality of who he really is. Because that's what glory means. What is the glory of man? What is the glory of man? We talk about the glory of man, and there's different verses that allude to this. Spiros again states this, the true glory of man is the ideal condition in which God created man. What they are meant by God to be though not yet perfectly attained. When we talk about the glory of who we are, we're talking about what God intended for us to be, and then in Christ, what is able to be accomplished. Christ in us, the hope, the assurance of something future of glory. The true identity of who he has intended us to be. But because of sin, we have been marred, separated from our Father. In Christ, we're brought back together. We're reconciled. We're redeemed. Christ comes to live within us. We're a new creation in Christ. Our minds begin to be renewed as we get into the Word of God with the hope that one day we're going to get rid of these bodies of death and we're going to have a new body. Glory. Glory. How did sin impact this? My goodness. Certainly, Satan is an example of self-glory. And the devastating result that has taken place because of his pride. Pride is the epitome of self-glory. When we talk about spiritual pride, it is so antithetical to who God truly is. Because we are literally stealing glory that ultimately only he deserves. And we are placing the spotlight on ourselves. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The true identity of what God has always intended for us. Sin has caused this division. 
In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 23, as I've alluded to this already, that because of unbelief, because of sin, because of hearts that are proud and obstinate, unwilling to be persuaded that Jesus is truly who he is and God is truly who he is as recognized through Christ, have exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for created things. Sin has marred us. The glory of man is what God originally has intended for us and that in Christ alone is able to be restored. How do we glorify God? (laughs) That's an interesting one, isn't it? We talk about the glory of God. We talk about who he is, the true identity, and how he's revealed himself to us through his birth and through creation and the resurrection, his life, and all these different aspects. And we talk about how sin has marred us. Well, as believers, how do we glorify him? How do we bring glory to God? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I would suggest that first and foremost, the way we glorify God is that the Lord has to change us. We don't just come up with a plan of action here. This is something God has to do within us in order that through us, he is revealed, made manifest, glorified. And we are being changed as we yield to him, as we surrender to him, as we get into the word of God, as we begin to have our minds renewed and our belief systems changed and transformed so that we begin to walk in the true identity of not only who God is, but what God has said we are. At that moment, God begins a transformative work in our lives so that through us, his glory begins to be revealed. So one of the first ways we glorify God is we get in touch with God and we begin to yield to him so that God begins to transform us and conform us to his image so that through us, his glory would be revealed. It's not a work we can accomplish in and of ourselves, folks. This takes God in us to accomplish it. That's called grace. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know you, that you are are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If you love one another. So how do we glorify the Lord? Well, first and foremost, we're transformed by him. As he transforms us, what's the fruit that's going to be predominant through our lives? Love. Agape love. Not just any kind of love. God's love. And all the elements of it, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the long-suffering, all the different aspects of what love really is, God will begin to be made manifest through our lives as he transforms us internally as we yield to him. And through us, love will become the predominant characteristic, love for one another, putting others first, serving one another, etc., Well, he is glorified through the church. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, as we're transformed by the Lord and as God produces his love in and through us and as that love is made manifest, it begins to be recognized in the way that we act and treat and love one another. 
then the church, the called out ones, the body of Christ, begin to be a picture to the world of the fact that Jesus really came in order to save and he can transform because we are living examples of that. We are a testimony to the work that God can accomplish in and through our lives. In John 15, 8, John writes, My Father is glorified by this. This is what the Lord himself was saying. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And I think that context is clear. It's about the love of Christ. When God's love begins to be seen through us, there is a recognition of the reality of God working in us, transforming us, and his love then being revealed through us in action towards one another. And there is a testimony to the Father concerning the involvement of the Son in our lives. There is much fruit that is born. Or in 1 Corinthians 10.31, and I love this, you know this well, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. That doesn't mean just Sunday morning showing up and saying hi. That means every moment of every day, whether you eat or whether you drink, whether you're at dinner, whether you're at lunch, whether you're at breakfast, whether you're driving, it doesn't matter where you are. Everything about our lives is to be about the glory of God. How does that take place? God has to transform us first. Amen? (laughs) God has to be doing a work in our hearts so that his love begins to be made manifest through our lives. And then he is glorified in the midst of that. When we begin to talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the true identity of who he really is. And he sent his son so that we could recognize the reality of God, his character, his motive, everything about him. And we see Jesus Christ filled, full of grace and truth. And as believers, as we begin to be transformed, as our minds are renewed, we recognize that we have been separated from God because of sin, but in Christ, we've been reconciled with God the Father through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has come to live within us, and God begins to transformatively change us. And his love begins to be expressed through us towards one another, and that is a picture of the reality of who God really is. They're hurting people all around us. Hurting people all around us. I know many of you have done this. You go to a a restaurant and maybe the waiter or the waitress comes up and the Lord prompts your heart in order to to tell them, hey, we're about to pray. Is there something that we can pray for you about? Have you done that? As the Lord leads, right? It's not a program. It's just as the Lord prompts your heart. And Steph and I were at Cracker Barrel, uh, I guess it was last week. And we were grabbing something to eat. And this lady began to talk to us, the waitress, and said, you know what? In my heart, I just felt the Spirit prompt me, and I said, is there something that we can pray for you about? Something we can pray for you about. And she looked at us, and she started literally choking back tears. And she shared with us some of the things that were going on in her life and asked us to pray. Folks, when we get our eyes 
off of ourselves and our own glory long enough to get our eyes onto the true identity of who God really is and how he's at work in us so that when he begins to prompt us, we're willing to say yes to him and follow him, then God's love through us begins to make us aware of the people around us, the needs that they have, and then there's a willingness to begin to follow the Lord in what he wants to do in their lives. And God begins to be glorified through that, thought correctly of as a result of that. Are we walking in light of who he is, what he's declared us to be, and is our service, our ministry for his glory? Or is it for ours? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 